I'm Justin. I'm Marius. I'm Kay. I'm Mark. I'm Dylan. I'm Nolan. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. I'm Nick. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Welcome to another episode of the Comics First Podcast. As always, I am your host when it comes to any and all things X-Men related, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba. Today hosting with me is Comics First X-Men writer, Marius Thienenkamp. That was perfect. That was perfect. Do you know, I, and I just want to say, Marius's first podcast was a little over a year ago. Yes. And I, you can hear me butchering it on <laughs> his last name on the Grant Morrison podcast. I recommend it for other reasons, but also that. And I, I just wanted to ask Marius, I hope that I'm growing to be more German since I've known. Oh, it's gotten a lot better. It's perfect, actually. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Do you feel like I'm ready to eat some sauerkraut? Yes. From Germany? Definitely. Okay. Drink a lot of beer. Oh, I'm ready. Okay, cool. I already do that. Um, <laughs> awesome. So, like I was going to say, so you may remember Marius from any number of podcasts, ranging from, like I just mentioned, Grant Morrison's X-Men. Uh, you did Storm. Yes. You did Emma Frost. And what, what was, like, another big one you did? Age of Apocalypse, oh, X-Men The Dream, oh, the, the Claremont the interview. The Claremont interview. Okay, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm, I, All of them. <laughs> yeah, I basically, I missed, I missed some really, some pretty big ones there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so for the first time, Marius is actually in the Comics First office. I don't know if we can call this an office. Yeah, we're, I t- think we we're can. like, he's physically here. We can reach out and touch him. We can touch him, yes. yeah. And, and he's on this side of the couch for once. Which we yes. love. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Intimate. It's so surreal. Yeah, what is it like being on the side of the couch? Only Jamie knows this experience. Oh, and Nolan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll ask you guys in a second, but Marius, what is it like for... I didn't even mean to really acknowledge your guys' existence yet. Marius, <laughs> um, what is it like for you being on the side of the couch? It's really surreal. Like, I've only ever seen this couch, like, on my computer screen, and now I'm on it. Awesome. I hope uh, it doesn't feel as cheap as it looks on the computer screen. <laughs> oh, it feels a lot cheaper. <laughs> it, uh, oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag IKEA. Um, <laughs> Fund us, please. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> get, get us a better motherfucking <laughs> couch. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, okay, that's that's, that's a ten dollars for the, the swear jar. jar yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have five so minutes in too. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start. I'm pretty impressed. I- I'm pretty impressed. Thank you. We're gonna have to start an IOU because that's ten more dollars than I have. Um, <laughs> okay, so anyway, as we're in the same areas, thank you so much for making the journey from Germany to New York City. And uh, as Mark tel- telepathically asked you earlier, anticipating my questions, how. Are you liking New York City? Oh, I love New York City. I've only been f- here for a week. We did a lot of sightseeing with my parents, and I'm really enjoying it. And uh, thanks again for letting me stay at your place. Of course. I was very excited for this. Uh, it's also important to tell people that you were the one who suggested this podcast. Yes, I did. So the topic today is Rick Remender's run on Uncanny X-Force, which includes the incredible Dark Angel saga. Yes. And... Uh, what made you decide to choose this run for a subject of a podcast? Uh, well, I think it definitely ranks among like my favorite X-Men runs like in the mm. uh, in the 21st century and it's always been like a modern classic to me because of well as you said like the Dark Angel saga which is outstanding and I hope we're going to get a lot into like comparing the Dark Angel saga to the Dark Phoenix saga as opposed to like being like an 80s classic mm-hmm. X-Men classic and like a modern X-Men classic but also like there's a lot of like ethical conflict within like the entire run and i'm a big fan of that and the character work is amazing so i'm really really looking forward to this podcast yeah no definitely lots of uh lots of ethical dilemmas in the story yes for sure. 
All right, so before we get further into it, two things. So first, come and find us on comicsfirst.com. We've got more podcasts like this. Uh, we just posted a bunch of interviews from Wizard World Philadelphia. Some people here were in them, which is like really awesome. And we've got all kinds of articles that comic book people would enjoy. So stop by. Again, that's comicsfirst.com. And second, I should mention this podcast does contain spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled on what happens in the Rick Remender run of Uncanny mm -hmm. X-Force, if you're thinking that you know, you're definitely going to read this, you might want to read it first and then check this out mm. if you're one of those people who's like you know what i might listen to this but i'm never gonna to read that that run at the end of this i promise you will read that run and you will have like such an amazing experience and we're going to talk about that so much so now it's time to introduce the panel of comics first contributors and workers and everything in between so you know sitting next to marius here we have the lovely k honda hello how are you k I'm great. It's always fun to do podcasts. I'm excited to talk about Dark Angel Saga. I'm Are you excited, excited to talk about not Jean Grey and Cyclops? Yeah, I'm yeah. super. Well, I mean, I'm going to get into it later, but it's like same S anyway. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh, you saw the same but, kind of shit happening. But, yeah, but I, I mean, I like it because I like Rick Remender's writing a lot. Like, mm -hmm. even from old school, Rick Remender, before he was doing any of this stuff, and before he was making stuff through Image. So, it's exciting to see him take, like, classic superheroes or superheroes that we know and love and kind of making it his own thing, which is... Yeah, that's nice. It's like he... It's like, it's his writing, and it just happens to be X-Men versus reading an X-Men comic. So that's cool. I kind of yes. love that. Yeah. Kind of love that. Uh, so Mark Hassenfratz. What's up, world? First time on a podcast. I'm really excited. It's it's really great to be here. And uh, you were at C2E2 this year doing some interviews? I was. That was a lot of fun. That was uh, my first time doing interviews for Comics First. It was, a, it was a great time. I got to meet Scotty Young, who I nice. love and was a great interview. So it was a great experience. And now I'm excited to be doing this. Yeah, you got to interview like Gail Simone. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of big people there. I interviewed Greg Capullo, Scott oh, Snyder Capullo. at the same time, which was incredible and yeah it was a great experience awesome and we're excited to have you on the podcast yeah thanks time. for having me this run of x-force is one of my personal favorite runs of any comic ever and it was my introduction to rick remender after this i got into deadly class tokyo ghost which are other great comics that people should definitely check out yes. if they like this one Awesome, yes. yeah. And uh, Kay once hosted a Deadly Class podcast. I did. Episode like 64, I think. Yeah, something like that. But yeah. it was actually, it was really interesting because you wouldn't think that an indie comic would have, you know, that much interesting stuff to say about it. But it was awesome. Because it's Remender. Yeah, it's Remender. Yeah. You can't, can't get away from it. Cannot hide from the Remenderness. Dellen, it's also your first time. Yes, yes. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Your excitement is palpable. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, it is. I'm, we're really happy wow. to have you here. Yes, me too. No, it's okay. <laughs> I put someone on each, every podcast. Everyone knows this. Yeah, it won't be you. Don't worry. Um, but yes, it will. It'll, no, it won't. No. Yeah, probably not. No, no, no. No, Nolan is too nice. I mean, not Nolan. <laughs> What's his, <laughs> What's his name? Dylan. Dylan is too nice. Yeah, that's me. Sorry. Me. Yeah. Over here. No. Aww. You see me? Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I just got you guys confused because you're both tall and white. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say thin, but uh, and intelligent. So, anyway, so this was one of your introductions to X Men books, right? To superhero books in general. You're mostly mm -hmm. a uh, indie person, right? Yes. Yeah. And I've only really glanced at other superhero books in the comic book stores here. So, was this intimidating to read such a, a long run and a long superhero run, especially not from like a flagship title? Was it what? Intimidating? Yeah. A little, but only at the very start. I mean, it got 
it stuck to itself pretty well. I mean, I got who the characters were and how they were related to one another. It's cool. just at the beginning where like Deadpool and Wolverine were in a weird scenario where it's like, what? <laughs> What's going on? What is going on? I, I did ask but, myself that a couple times, but I both fortunately and unfortunately have a very long history with the X-Men. Uh, you also wrote two books, right? I've written uh, nine books, but Whoa. <laughs> I published Wait, one. What? Oh, what? I thought you published. Okay. Well, oh, shit. Jesus. Okay. Well, tell us about it. Well, I love writing fantasy books. I've written since I was 10. And Oh, my God. Are you the ghostwriter of Game of Thrones? Oh, Probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually working on something that's kind of similar where it jumps between characters' perspectives. That's good. Except it's like in first person and some of the characters are insane. So it's great. Why <laughs> didn't you tell anybody? I just yeah. If I had written nine books, I that would be the. I'd first be like, thing. yeah, I wrote I'd, nine books. I'd be like, hey, in. my name's Mark. I've written nine books. <laughs> like, what have you done? I would have a T-shirt that says it in Helvetica text. Helvetica <laughs> text. Yeah. Very specific. Yeah. I like it. All my shirts, each one, just like I wrote this book. The other one, I wrote this one. Yeah. <laughs> when you knew about this, I wrote a trilogy. I would tattoo the covers on my face so that anytime <laughs> someone had to speak to you, it's a little too much. They would, you know, you got to commit, Mark. You got to yeah. commit. <laughs> it's all about networking. And people have to know that go big or go home. Okay, like, exactly. I guess that makes. Although sense. I appreciate that you wouldn't want to hurt your face, I wouldn't want to hurt my face either. Nah. And pain, not fun. Nothing hurts my face. Uh, where can Except people? Um, where can people get your book? That's public. It's called The Forbidden by Dylan Miller, and it's at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online, not in the stores. Yeah. I mean, who buys books cheap, anyway? So. I haven't bought a book in <laughs> thirty years. I buy books. I mean, I buy them only online. I need I'm, I need it in front of me. I um I well, I'm kidding. It's in 30 years ago. They didn't even really have internet. But, or but make sure you search for my for my name because the forbidden is not a good search title. You'll find a lot of vampire erotica. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that's that's very not specific. My book. That's, okay, that's very specific. Well, I had to make sure I knew what would happen if people search for it. You should spell your first name in case people <laughs> okay. are unsure. Dellen D E L L E N. Okay, so Dellen Miller, not not the vampire erotica. Correct. Yeah. But you can read that as well <laughs> if you'd like. Yeah, if you're into yeah. that, more power Related to you. titles. <laughs> no, it's true. I was going to say speaking of vampire erotica, Corey Spanner pops in my head immediately. And I was like if if every vampire erotica book was brought to life, and translate it to film, I would want Corey Spanner to star in each one of them. You know me so well. Right. <laughs> you um, like the werewolf, dude. Those. And uh, I just think the world, I just think it's time that we give something back to the world. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Thank you. Know. you. The world charitable. deserves it. Yeah, the world does deserve it. And, um, you know, with all this drama with Trump and Hillary and apparently Jill Stein, who I'll never read anything else about. Oh, my God. Um, Gary Johnson. I don't know who that is. Just Libertarian. kidding. Libertarian. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, no. <laughs> But anyway, you know, I think that the world is ready for some vampire erotica films. And Been there, done that, yeah, though. Right? Yeah. So, Corey, was, this was not your first time reading this run, right? No. Uh, I, ha I bought this run as it was coming out. I was able to reread all my floppies for the first time since I got them. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, well, we're going to get into if you're a fan or not later, but it's cool that you bring your perspective and found it on your own, like Marius first. And you guys, oh, no. And Mark, you three are the only ones. Oh, and Nick. Really, and yeah, and not Nolan. Okay, cool. That was a really just poor point, so I'm just going to move on. But Corey, we're really excited to have you here. You're going to be in L.A. soon, which is awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. And then you'll be back in Ohio? Ohio, yeah. Wherever yep. you're sure. from. Are you going to be voting in Ohio? I guess I'll do a mail-in ballot oh, in cool. L.A. or whatever. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. 
cool. That's a, a swing state, so we want to make sure you're on. You know, you're you're on the right team. We're all counting yeah. on you. Clark. I got you. No yeah. pressure, right? No pressure. Hashtag. I hope Trump wins. Just kidding. I would rather die. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty no, much. Same. I mean, yeah. No, well, no. Hashtag I mean, same. <laughs> I know. Hashtag X Men Apocalypse. Hashtag like. <laughs> For real, but not the movie. Age Co- of Apocalypse oh, Corey, Corey, 2016. Uh, uh, Nolan, how are you? Great. How are you, Justin? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for asking. I just want to say, <laughs> there you are. Sorry, Mary, I just got a kick out of that one. That's <laughs> no, okay. I, you know, you're studying the f- f- first half of the modern Ming Dynasty. You're in Japan. I don't see the connection, but I'm happy that you're there. How are you enjoying Japan? Japan is the best place I've ever been. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. But I got some Japanese germs inside my lungs right now, so I apologize if I if you know there's some sniffles on this podcast. Let's stay appropriate. That's okay. Yeah. No, you can sniffle. You know, no one will we can take the sniffling out, uh, which is awesome. Nick, first podcast. It is my very first. Thank you for having me. Nick, yeah. Nick, who I've Welcome, known. bro. This is everyone's first, I feel like. I know. Or not everyone. A lot but of a people's lot, first. Yeah. A lot of people's yeah, and we're gonna be very gentle. So I didn't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, who I've known for several eras, uh, approximately nine years, it's mm-hmm. really wonderful to be on a podcast with you and talk X-Men. Because we used to talk X-Men forever. All the time. Constantly. Uh, on, on an X-Men website, of all places. Yep. There you are in Michigan. You've got a nude lady with wings behind you and a Wolverine poster. And apparently she's Vampirella. Or Vampirella, Bar- yeah. Or Barbarella. Yep something ella oh she's a vampire okay cool anyway we're really excited to have you and i know you are a big fan of uncanny x-force yes very much so and you're like an encyclopedia of x-men knowledge I mean, yeah i could just be like a fact checker like you just say something i'll just i got it right here in my brain awesome if <laughs> if there was like an expert okay if there was a shrine to wolverine you would work you would be like a tour guide there you would work there <laughs> that, that would be that would actually be my ideal job that would be one thing i'd be good at in life awesome that's one more thing that i'm good at in life uh but seriously it's really really great to have you on and Thank uh you. appreciate it last but not least rounding out the uh this extraordinary cast of characters from all walks of life and all corners of the globe from germany to america and back which apparently is now all corners jamie yes. rice is here Ms. jamie rice hi jamie how are you i'm amazing are you? Uh, I gene grayed the power back on so we could do this podcast. It's so true. Why don't you tell people what happened? About the gene grain? Well, we had the po- about an hour ago, the power surged off, and I looked up at the sky with a fury and a passion, and I was like, not today. And then the lights turned back on. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> it's perfect. It's badass. That's, uh, that's how life should be. And yeah, I'm. That- I'm very impressed because when i do yeah. that nothing really happens yeah nothing happens yeah, yeah. i just go, i just get sadder i just gonna say i just cry myself to sleep <laughs> in fetal position uh, i got a little lucky i'll say that yeah to, to be fair i cry myself to fetal position anyway no, yeah kidding. all right cool uh so anyway marius has prepared a quick overview of the remainder run for those of you listening so we can get on the same page and you know kind of see like the big points that that we're going to be covering in the podcast. So, Marius, why don't you take it away? Yes. So, Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender is a book about a small group of elite mutant killers who are ready to take down uh, dangers for mutant kind. And the cast consists of Psylocke, of Wolverine, Deadpool, Phantom X, and also Archangel. And it later consists of Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler as well. So uh, there's a lot of fun in that. And it's actually not the first X-Force book overall. It's like the uh, it's like one of the latter like volumes. But this is like the first 
X-Force like in the in 21st century that uh, is not really connected to the X-Men because there was like an X-Force before which was that or which was uh, which took orders from Cyclops but this one is kind of like hidden from the rest of the X-Men so that's kind of interesting and uh, basically the run includes a lot of moral dilemmas which the team will face including for example uh, having to decide whether they should take down a childish version of Apocalypse, which is one of the most powerful mutant and is like a threat to uh, the entire human and mutant kind. So uh, that's kind of like, would you kill a child to save the world kind of situation. Uh, it also includes the Dark Angel saga, which is a masterpiece in my opinion, and in which the team has to go up against uh, one of their members themselves, which is uh, Rowan Worthington III. He's like one of the founding members of the X-Men, but he also has uh, the Dark uh, Angel or Archangel persona in himself, which uh, makes him a, f a big threat. And eventually his lover, Psylocke, has to take him down, which is uh, extreme. Oh, I was going to say, should we add that Angel became the first death not the first death but death a horseman of apocalypse yes that's very true he became a horseman of apocalypse in uh the 90s so mm -hmm. the run is kind oh, of it like was the 80s the, the late 80s yeah. yes i'm sorry late 80s, yeah. uh so um the run is kind of like ex exploring his dark persona and one of the overall motives is uh with the childish version of apocalypse who later gets a lot more attention whether He's predetermined to be evil and to wipe out mute, uh, humankind as Apocalypse or whether he can be turned around and be a good guy. So, yeah, that's kind of what's being explored in, in Uncanny X-Force. That is very cool. All right. So before we get into the discussion of the segment, I kind of wanted to come to a consensus on the Apocalypse solution, which is the first arc in Rick Remender's run of Uncanny X-Force. You know, when I sat down to read it, some of the themes were pretty instantly apparent to me. I was reading it with Marius for the first time. We were kind of reading it out loud, and I kind of wanted to see if anyone agreed or disagreed with me. And some of the things I wrote down, or just some of like the random notes I wrote down, were that this run is about embracing or sublimating the need to destroy or do harm. Uh, it's about embracing the killer instinct and releasing it for the greater good, which we deem as releasing it in a, ne in a less negative way. So, do you guys... Agree or disagree with that, Marius? Uh, I definitely agree. I think it's like uh, a motive that's very apparent in, in every arc in the entire run. But it's also really interesting to see like where they're trying to draw the line. Like, there's, okay, so there's like this group of characters with a, this killer instinct or who were uh, made, uh, quote unquote, made to kill. And so uh, they're trying to figure out like in what situation would that be appropriate or in what situation does that like not serve the greater good at all so that's kind of interesting mark yeah i definitely agree with that and especially if you look at a character like wolverine it shows how much of a slippery slope it can be because wolverine in when he's in x-force he is allowed to go berserk and be the animal that he is in moments but he can very quickly just continue to be that red berserker and just things can get out of control very quickly so it's it's a very it's it's a very thin line between controlled executions and just outright madness skype mofos i think uh i think the theme of the whole the entire comic from beginning to end is like uh whether violence is justified you know uh, both proactive violence and then later on, like retroactive violence, vengeance. And you know, if I mean, if like you come down on the side that it is, then of course it's good for society for people to like you know use their violence in certain ways. 
Cool, Jamie? Yeah, I'm going to go off kind of what Nolan was saying. I think that there is something interesting in this book where it deals with whether it deals with the idea that there are some okay ways to kill people, but it also is interesting when it deals a lot with the toll that it takes on the people who do that. And it's also kind of about the struggle within yourself personally. Is it okay to indulge in this level of revenge, stuff that's clearly fueled by you're maybe pretending to yourself a greater good, but at the end of the day might be more enjoyable to yourself than you'd like. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an interesting struggle and I like it. And I think that most people have done things where they tell themselves afterwards it was only for good reasons, but in the moment they did it because it made them feel good. So I think the book does a good job of translating that into these really interesting moral dilemmas that I think resonate with people that I liked a lot. Awesome. That was extremely well said. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How about you? Yeah. I mean, just to add on to what Jamie really aptly pointed out, I think that it's really hard for me to say if I can agree with the, the like what you're talking about, like about how whether, you know, that killer instinct is something that you should be able to channel for something positive. I find it really I feel like that's a really idealistic thought or like I think that it's admirable. But at the same time, like who's to say? where that line is between doing good and not doing good. And I feel like that's such a a subjective experience. I mean, like everything is, but it's such a subjective experience. So I think that for the sake of the story, it's amazing because it perfectly encapsulates like that inner struggle that everyone experiences, but kind of makes it hyperbolic, I guess, like makes it like on a bigger scale. So I think that it's really easy to see how people could get behind this ideology. But at the same time, like, I don't know if I fully agree with it myself because I don't know if it's possible. And we will be delving into that a little bit later. Uh, Corey, how about you? I just want to quickly add that I don't think there's a better way or a better moment to define this comic than the end of the apocalypse solution. I can't think of any other comic where it's almost like one single moment, defi- not not in a bad way, but defines the entire run and that that sticks out. That's that's the tone. And every character like pretty often thinks back to that one moment. It's like that's where shit started to hit the fan. Yes, that's so true. I'm in complete agreement with that. Anybody have anything else to add? Jamie? Just really quickly going back to what Kay was saying about how they justify their actions. I thought that one of the best things about the book was that it made it like dubious sometimes about like, People who say things are good or bad, whether or not those are good people. Because I know at the end, one of the villains kept always going back to the concept of, well, people who say that people are good and people are villains, like, don't have, they have no idea what they're talking about. And that person was the villain. But I thought it was interesting how it also was kind of putting on display the fact that you can't really pretend like you know what's good and what's bad. Um, and it's always playing with that, too, which I always loved. Nick, do you agree with me? Do you think that's what the story is about? <laughs> Oh, I think the I think the first part of what we were talking about, going back to that real quick, when you said embracing the killer instinct and releasing it for the greater good, which we deem as releasing it in a less negative way, I think the choice of wording there is, is very important because they're definitely not doing anything that's positive. That's If you look at the entire run, the targets that they pick, the people that they kill, the things that they do, nothing about it ever actually turns out okay. They actually make things worse for, for themselves in the long run. That's so I think a good that was point. very important to, to point out. That is a really good point. Uh, Mark? Yeah, building off of that, that's a kind of a burden that they take on themselves. I think it's Wolverine who says, like, we do all of this ugly so that the rest of humanity doesn't have to deal with it. And, and especially Cyclops was named, too. Yeah, and that's that's what they really take on when they join this team is, like, we're we're taking all of this evil for the good of humanity and 
burdening ourselves so they don't have to. So at the start of this arc, we're confronted with Angel's struggle with Archangel, his sort of dark side that is created when Apocalypse transforms him into death. One of the horsemen of Apocalypse in the late 80s, as Nolan pointed out. Did you guys think that this narrative or the narrative of the struggle was told well through the story? And since it was such a big piece of it, what part of this particular narrative like stuck out to you, Mark? What really stuck out to me was one of the first scenes when they're in the danger room and they're rehearsing how they're going to take down Apocalypse. And what happens is that when they open the doors and Apocalypse is sitting there, uh, Archangel turns evil and attacks the X-Men. Mm. And then he's like, what the hell was that? Why don't you guys trust me? And they say, look, we need to be prepared for every situation. And there is a very real threat that you could turn on us. And mm. we've accepted that. So we need to prepare for that. I think that was just a, like to open the series with that was really powerful for mm -hmm. me because it just left this kind of looming threat of oh is he gonna is this him being good like using his evil for good or is it just evil and we we see that played out a lot so i think that was a really really great storytelling aspect to it yeah to add on to what you're saying mark i think it's really great that that not only did they start with that but they also opened with Psylocke having to do that because it he, like you know even Wolverine makes it a point to be like look it's not even about you it's kind of more of an exercise for you know mainly Psylocke and for the rest of us to be emotionally prepared for the worst that could happen which is that you'll turn on us and she has to be able to like disconnect and you know end you if that has to it has to get to that point and it also kind of calls into question what like you know what we were just talking about in the previous segment about whether you can channel a negative force within yourself and channel it for pot like for good because i don't think they even anyone on the x-force despite how much how much good they're trying to do like i don't know if any of them are really sure if they can do it either the one thing that stuck out to me the most with warren's inner conflict were the short moments where archangel would take over and then warren would pop back up for a second so he'd be wreaking havoc you know, destroying, try to kill the X Factor. And then all of a sudden, the eyes would turn white. Warren would pop out and say, please kill me while you have the chance. The fact that Warren understood what was happening and what was going on and what they needed to do. And he accepted that really mm -hmm. yeah, stuck out to me. Yeah. And yes. such a throwback to some one of Marius's questions later about Dark Phoenix Saga. Marius. Yeah, so basically what I thought was like stucking out to me about this is kind of like the relationship between Psylocke and Archangel because uh, I think it's interesting uh, adding on to what you guys were just saying about like the danger room situation in which she has to be prepared to kill him but uh, it's still kind of, I mean it's kind of interesting to see how that would hurt him but also how uh, their relationship still gives him kind of like this uh, sense of control over himself mm. like how she can help him like carry this burden together with him and uh, kind of uh, restrain Archangel as much as uh, well possible. Yeah. Uh, I guess to add on to what you're saying, I think something I was just thinking of just now was um, something that was really successful in the narrative as well was kind of, to me, you know, what you were saying, Dustin, about how there's clear parallels with the Dark Phoenix saga. And maybe that's why I was like not gung-ho about it because we all know i love gene but uh, so much love for gene in this room but <laughs> the thing about it is it's really interesting that people characters like warren gene or cyclops are usually the ones who have these conflicts or are like the main character of these conflicts where they have to deal with like a darker self or like this other alternate 
person, which is really interesting because those are characters that try so hard to be like the epitome of good. But then maybe that's why I have like a personal annoyance about like I have a I'm personally irritated by that because it's like they're suppressing this dark part of themselves until it can't be suppressed anymore at least with like Psylocke or Wolverine like they have an interaction where she's like it scares me how much pleasure I take from like the fact that I'm going to get revenge on these people and he was like that's when it's going to get scary I have a follow-up question for you yes so given the fact that they have this dark side uh you don't do you find any nobility in the is that Right? Do you find any? Do you find it noble that they are attempting to, of course, suppress it, but also to sublimate it in a way, and to you know find a way to use it to further their goals of contributing to the greater good? I do. I mean, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that what they're doing is honorable. I think what all of X Force is doing is honorable. But to me at least Betsy or rather Cyclops and Wolverine are also doing that, but they're not lying to themselves about the fact that part of them is dark already. Like that's where that like enjoyment of getting revenge comes from, where they're just kind of like, they're not all good. They already know that going in and they're just like, okay, cool. And like, I think, arguably those those are the two who like for any mission are just like okay we're gonna die today but here we go and then you know so i feel like for whatever reason that's a lot more compelling to me because they're not lying to themselves about it while with warren as admirable as it is it's it's almost naive because he's like no i can do it and it's like no you can't (laughs) i actually really think that's a very interesting perspective jamie i was just gonna say going back a little bit to what marius was talking about that One of my favorite aspects of the struggle was actually, I think the panel that Marius picked for later on that I was going to pick, but I changed my mind at the last moment. It was very similar to the season finale of Buffy season two, where, of course, Warren was evil. And then kind of near the end, Psylocke gets to him and then they kind of like have this whole like she gives him kind of like all this happiness, I kind of assume, before he dies. And I always like stories where people turn bad and then they kind of turn good right before the end. And I think it's always nice. It gives you the chance to kind of see the part of Warren inside of him that knows this is all bad and good. And I think that that was one of my favorite parts of the struggle. Like it kind of was the best way to end the struggle they had been leading to the entire way, giving Warren a last chance. Uh, Big D. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say with what Kay was saying. Did um, did I cut out? No, you're great. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I think that was, or yeah, the whole idea of um, characters of... Gene and Warren being unable to control the bad side because they've suppressed it for so long. I think it's really fascinating that Warren becomes death for Apocalypse mm-hmm. and so does Psylocke. She becomes death yeah. for Archangel, but she is not death for very long at all. And no. it doesn't linger at all for her, whereas it does for Archangel and ends up causing his demise. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's very interesting that, yeah, that since she doesn't suppress it all the time that she's just able to let it go. I, I just before you go, Mary, so I just wanna make do a random X Men fact. So many X Men have been death before. Wolverine, Gambit, Nick help me, who else was death? Archangel. Archangel, Wolverine, Gambit, um, Polaris was pestilence or plague or whatever. Pestilence. The, yeah. That's awesome. And Sunfire was plague. Oh, okay, yeah. There Colossus, was, uh, right? Colossus was one too? I think so. Oh shit. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah. Uh Colossus Darn. was one. Dag, nabbit. Yeah, I think those are all the ones I can think of. It's almost of. not cool if you weren't a horseman at one yes. point. No, right? It's like it's like <laughs> it's like guys, that's kind of embarrassing. No, Everyone. I'm like, you you've never been a horseman of apocalypse. 
get out of my apartment now. <laughs> they should start a band. That would be pretty dope. The ones who right. didn't get. No, no, all the horsemen should start all a band. All the ex-horsemen. Like, I'm that really sad. That would be a sad. huge band. Um, that would be a huge band. Yeah, no, I, I'm... I'm I am with you on the band thing. Marius, how about you? Uh, yeah, I was just going to add uh, about the um, suppressing like the inner bad person uh, kind of kind of thing. Because I thought it was interesting that uh, Rowan still kind of like had this sense of, uh, okay, I'm like a fucked up person and I don't really deserve like all this caretaking, all this uh, effort that uh, Psylocke uh, keeps like putting into me, even though he, he's trying to be this good per- person and he's trying to use the Archangel for the greater good. Mm-hmm. I think he, there's like this sense of, okay, I'm, uh, I don't deserve any of this like in him, which we see like in uh, the last moments of uh, his life when uh, they have this uh, telepathic moment and he's like, uh, yeah, sometimes this feels just so surreal to me because uh, I wouldn't, I'm not the type of person who, who would ever like deserve a perfect life and she gives him like this sense of okay yes you do deserve all of this and you are a hero so i mean that was irritating to me you thought so yeah i cried i cried too (laughs) my best friend cried for like half an hour your your best friend (laughs) (laughs) my best friend cried too no just kidding i i i did did tear up nick and then nolan Oh, sure. Sorry, I, Nolan. I called on you. I've never cried over a comic book. Justin, I believe you have, though. I have. I've cried during four comics, five comics. <laughs> four? I, they're actually all X Men related. <laughs> yeah. I was. At I the was end of Fun Home, I was like, meh. I was going to go back to what Kay and Marius were talking about with you know the suppression of these darker sides that the characters in the story were fighting. Um, I think it's worth noting that Warren, when he's between Angel and Archangel, it's really two separate entities now. I don't think ever before that they've really been separated in their in his mind at the way they have been shown in this story. And I think it's worth noting that Archangel knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't see himself as the bad guy. Warren struggles against him, but Archangel in turn does not struggle at all. He has a very clear picture of his endgame that he wants to put into place. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who he's doing it to. And I think that was a really good... You know, compare and contrast with the, the two opposite sides of Warren's mind. Warren being Angel, being completely in disarray, trying to suppress his other side, and the other side looking at it as a completely different character almost. That there's no there's no question about what he's doing in his own mind at all as Archangel. Nolan Lannister? I got nothing to add. We got it covered. All right, cool. So, anyway, we're all human beings. We all have a dark side, except me, um, because I only have one side, and that side is fully dark. Does anyone want to share if they connected to an aspect of the story? Uh, well, this is kind of harsh. I was, like, talking about the killer within. But, Mark, you want to... Yeah, I mean, this isn't really something I connected to until you really brought it up and I thought about it. But with running, like, I, I ran cross-country all throughout high school. I keep up with running now. It's like when... Whenever I'm feeling like very angry or sad or whatever, I always just pick a direction and run as hard as I can until I'm tired. And then I just turn around and run back, which has been really therapeutic. There's been a bunch of studies done about like the, the therapeutic benefits of running. But just like the I, re- I looking back on it, I definitely relate to taking that negative energy and then just using it as fuel for something that's very beneficial to you. But yeah, that, that didn't really occur to me until you asked that question. So thanks for that. Of course. Uh, Marius. Uh, I don't know. I can kind of 
get into like most of these uh situation where it was like okay we need to like as a team make this uh hard really hard to make like moral decision and i don't know i just think that's uh, because that's like something i i think about a lot uh, a lot and it's like there's almost almost always is there like different opinions on the team and like emotions like boiling all over the place and people like getting into arguments uh, and I think that's kind of I can kind of identify with with that because uh, I mean I get emotional about that sort of stuff and uh, yeah. Ms. Jamie Wright. So when you asked the question about the dark side, it made me think about my own dark side, and I didn't think I really had a dark side. And then I remembered that when I was staying with Justin for a while there, we would have a couple parties and I would have a few drinks, and then I would just walk up to random people and I would just be like, "Guess what?" And they'd be like, "What?" And I'd be like, "My ex-boyfriend has cancer. Isn't that ridiculous?" And they'd be like, "That's awful, but kind of funny." And I'm like, "Right." And I've been doing that for like two months. So I think that one of my darker sides is my tendency. <laughs> <laughs> to take I take I kind of like the sidewalk thing like I take too much pleasure whenever bad things happen to bad people and I like to talk about it and make jokes so I think that's my dark side uh, to be fair I wasn't criticizing that I was just criticizing <laughs> that you led with that when you first met three people for the first time in the first five minutes that's horrifying yeah but it was that was the only part I was criticizing I wasn't criticizing it I was just concerned yeah that you know that that was you <laughs> yeah you know I was leading with my my best dark foot forward <laughs> yes <laughs> You're leading with your dark angel wing. I, I don't, I gotta go. Uh, all right, cool. Who else has something to add about this? I just liked Wolverine. Basically, I like Wolverine just because, I mean, for obvious reasons, I feel like he's awesome, but he's also very upfront. And I guess, I guess nihilistic because he's just been around for so long because, you know, he regenerates and he's just like, you know, like, Screw it. It's just, you know, might as well try to make everything I do count. Will I probably maybe go berserk? Sure. Like, that's fine. Like, but like, he doesn't beat himself t up too much about it either, which I kind of appreciate. Because like, at that point, it's just like, he's probably seen the same permutations of every story play out in the same way over and over again. So like, I kind of respect the fact that he's just like, eh. Like, like he still goes back to trying to save people or like do the dirty work because he's just like, eh. Right, but he'll might as well. But I'll have a beer. Yeah. I'll have a beer after. And, yeah. And, and kind of let go. Yeah. Well, because well, he has to to stay sane, I'm sure. But he also doesn't beat himself up for letting you know himself get berserk or anything. He's just like, ah. Eh. Andy kind of he willfully uses that berserker to the benefit of the team several times throughout the arc. So he that's a like scary level of self-awareness he has. No, I will say I wish I also have berserker rage and I wish I could use it in a productive way. I do have berserker rage, but I don't use it productively. Exactly, same here. You but guys I, should try running. I haven't I've only, I would only run if Godzilla was behind. But then me. I wouldn't have any ammo to make fun of you. <laughs> she loves you though. It's just cuz you're a white dude. <laughs> it's too easy. <laughs> the journey the journey of us. Uh, anyway. <laughs> That's my running, is making fun of white men. <laughs> well, I was going to say something really sad after, but now I don't feel like I should. Wait, uh, Jamie, did you raise your hand? I just wanted to say that Kay was slain, but I couldn't really insert because of my feedback issue. So <laughs> now I'm just like, you. slay. I love you. Hashtag slay. Yeah. Love so, you, babe. But I will say... Oh, Love is everyone, yeah. No, but I will say that for me, uh, you know, I've definitely struggled with anger and stuff in my past, and uh, I did relate to it. You know, I think it's a little bit, it's easier 
uh, in the superhero world to say, hey, cool, I can go kick a bunch of people's asses. I can get like, you know, stabbed in the chest and I'll be fine in a couple of days physically or maybe even in the next few minutes, depending on how quick my healing factor <laughs> works. Uh, and, you know, I can be written the next week without having any issues at all. Uh, that being said, if that were the case and I could just kick people's asses who did really terrible things, I would probably do that as a good way to sublimate my anger. Now I look for other ways. And one good way is therapy. <laughs> <laughs> seeing, seeing a professional exactly another that good helps, way is yes. pfizer uh, a company in which i had wish i had money to invest in but has brought many happy feelings to my life okay yeah also youtube videos of animals that youtube helps. videos of animals yeah uh catch up robots as no one has uh once uh told me about and cats morphing into croissants a bowl yeah. of salad sitting in the seat of a, wheelchair, a wheelchair rolling down a hill on the system yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Diana Ross. Okay. Cool. Um, you forgot the raccoon. The raccoon. No, that was Nolan's video. That's Nolan's video. Yeah. Yeah. So that's raccoon. what he does with his dark side. Yeah. Nolan. I think agrees. That that's a perfect way to deal with your dark side. It's that just is. like, oh, I'm so angry. I'm gonna watch videos. Ah, <sighs> like just all better. But Mark did have a good point. That's good for ex- uh, exercise. Is good. Releases endorphins. Make you less pissed. Good thing. I don't know why. What's got. PSA all of a sudden but anyway um, exercise right well but you know but but, <laughs> but even just talking about this uh, stuff but okay so we just answered the next question which is how to what are stuff what's some things we do to control our dark side which is cool and I think does everyone show of hands do we all have a dark side I know I do I do well okay does dark side mean that it has to be like Warren's dark side no, well no that would be I don't know if I could be your friend if it was that bad. no it no no, no n- not like Archangel life. no I just mean like you know where it's like very polarized like that no 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 yeah then yeah I do you know typical it, human it just, it just comes out right typical human dark yes. side yeah I mean yeah, or it's like a part of me yeah exactly right. no one on Skype Corey has a dark side because Corey's Cyclops yeah that's true Corey's, Corey's just an angel no but no, I would just like to point out that no one on Skype raised their hand and no one we all had our hands raised oh just kidding <laughs> I just no, Corey didn't. Corey was like, I guess, because everyone else is raising. Oh, Corey. <laughs> Peer pressured you into having a dark side. If I, get, if I get pissed, I just play video games to forget about my problems. <laughs> That's escapism. Might be a little... Uh, Nick lifts weights when he gets pissed. He probably okay. No, I'm not gonna say I do that. What? inappropriate. Never mind. Oh, weights. Yeah. Yeah. No, I it's believe Corey light. has no dark side. I, you know. No, I'll, I don't believe that for a no, second. I see. When I see him, I don't see anything. I just see light. So no, I assume. No, that's bullshit. Okay. Oh, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Yeah. No, and it's like I <laughs> he's mean, like Marco. I hate that. No, he's not. No, no. Where's just I mean, like, well, I love Marco, but where's no. just like, oh, I'm a beacon of light. Well, Marius is a beacon of light as well. But Marius has dark side too. Like I could um, like he's liked some very dark things on my Facebook. So I'm just like, yeah, he gets. I it. mean, Marius has a dark it's... side in that he once saw a surprise anal in a bar. But aside from that, I think he's 50% <laughs> children's laughter and 50%. I, I but puppies. I don't yeah. I don't think. But the thing is, I don't think that. I feel like purity also is so like naive to me and that's why I don't like it because I'm just like you're lying how dare you lie to me <laughs> and with Marius he never lies to me no, oh, Marius awesome yeah we love Marius okay we love everyone thank here thank you for thanking me even though I blew out your ear holes earlier <laughs> <laughs> yes I did scream I still live that's okay we're alive we made it. Well, Marius okay. made it. You're, yeah, that when was I make it, I'll pay for new ears. <laughs> for bionic <laughs> ears. So how would you guys define 
the relationship dynamic between Betsy, uh, who's Psylocke. I always call them by their real names because I feel like calling them by their superhero it's names is inappropriate. Personal. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you want it to be personal. How would you define the relationship dynamic between her and uh, Warren, who's Angel, Archangel? Do you think that they're the perfect couple or is Betsy kind of on a fool's errand to fix Warren? I mean, I kind of know both from personal experience and from, you know, after school specials, you can't really fix people if you go into a relationship, but whatever, we're going to discuss that right now. And if the latter's the case, I just already said that without realizing it. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> You're going to hand up really big. Kay and Dylan. <laughs> cough, cough. Same as Gene and Scott. Cough, cough. That's all I have to oh. say about that. Love that. Love a good soundbite. Dylan. Well, this kind of makes me think of something Nick said earlier about um, how Archangel, how Warren struggles against Archangel for a while and Archangel doesn't struggle. But then I only started at volume three where the Dark Angel saga starts pretty much. And we start in Warren's head and his memories and... Archangel tells Psylocke to get out of his head and and Psylocke says no you need to get out and then Warren says no he's trying to fix me and so you know for a while it's split into two personalities but then even both personalities have the same agenda and Psylocke says you have the wrong perspective and that's just that's pretty that is pretty bad it's not just that she's trying to suppress like a dark side she's trying to suppress all of him and mm. decide how he should live his life and so that seems pretty unhealthy. Mm, so hashtag unhealthy for Psylocke and Warren. And with that, Mark, do you have something to... Oh, no, you just grabbed the mic. Uh, Nolan Lannister. It's kind of a one-sided relationship, you know? It's yes, like she is totally. like She is in charge of it all, you know? And that's like always a problem. Which is probably why she likes it. Maybe. That's not meant to be funny, it. like legit. I'm sure she just no, wants I, to be like... Mm. I, I totally buy that. that. Yeah. I totally buy yeah. that. Ms. Jamie Rice. I liked them but i also liked gene and scott so i don't think anyone is surprised i think that i liked it mostly because i i liked it because of the struggle that warren was going through and i think that i think betsy has her own struggle too i don't think that it's necessarily helped by warren's but i enjoyed that they were both two people that were struggling and i appreciated that it almost seemed like they had the kind of relationship where they were like this can never stand for a long time but we do care about each other right now and we want to try and help each other right, 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 right. and so I appreciated that. And I thought they had a nice love. I don't think, I mean, I also, I liked Betsy so much that I liked her in any pairing that she was in. See, yeah. So. See, like, that's how I felt too. It's like, I said this earlier, sorry to cut in, but it's basically the same phenomenon as having one of your friends have like a new girlfriend or boyfriend. And you're just like, yeah, they're nice. And you're like, whatever about them. But then as soon as they break up, you're just like, yeah, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. I only like them because you were into them. Like, it's so I feel very strongly about Betsy. So I kind of am okay with whatever. Cool. Uh, Mark, then Nick, then Marius. I, I definitely agree with Nolan in that I think it is very one-sided, but I feel like a lot of that is dependent on how Psylocke is using her psychic powers to try and help him and kind of suppress this evil side of him and ends up su suppressing parts of the real Warren, as Dellen said. I feel like that does lend itself to some really cool art in the book because you get all of these scenes where they're in this like shared mindscape that they have and that those are just very beautiful, uh, beautifully drawn, really took the opportunity to mm -hmm. go for that artistically. And it makes it all the more heartbreaking is that's kind of like the life they've built together and right. they both know that we're like, we're just like patching this up until the wheels fall off. And like we both kind of know that's going to happen. That's, and it, mm -hmm. yeah, so they're just patching it up until the wheels fall off. And both mm -hmm. of them knew that. And that kind of sentiment of inevitable, just like crashing and burning, made those contrasted with the beautiful landscape of their shared mind space, made it 
so much more heartbreaking mm-hmm. for me. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Nick. Yeah, I think you guys pretty much uh, hit the hit the nail on the head on this one. I mean, Psylocke was basically acting as a catalyst for Archangel to take over Warren. You know, Warren in the beginning obviously asked Psylocke to help him with his Archangel problems, but in doing so, she basically just made it that much easier for Archangel to completely overtake Warren's mind. So I think yeah, I think you guys don't have a whole lot to add to that. You guys pretty hit hit that on the head. Nick, in your experience as a womanizing man, do you think that do you think that their their relationship will last? Would it last? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, Psylocke is a clear control freak. Just curious. All right. Can I? Oh, uh, no, Mary's I don't think there's yeah, some sarcasm in there, though, just so everybody knows. There was some sarcasm in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she's a control freak a little bit. I don't Any, think anyone so. Who, anyone who has mind control powers is a control freak. Everyone, yeah, anyone who has a telepath is a telepath is has got some entitlement. Things come from that. Mary. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, kind of adding on to that point about uh, being a control freak and kind of like uh, enjoying this one-sided relationship. There's this one interesting moment in like the last third of the book where she's like, okay, so I'm not gonna have my life dominated by these men in my life. And uh, there's like this example of uh, Xavier, but also her brother her brothers actually Mm -hmm. and maybe that's Mm -hmm. why she could be kind of into that in her relationship with warren but then again i don't think that uh that's necessarily something that she would like she would like actively choose like these circumstances because i think uh, for me they've always been this couple that would have like just uh i don't know left the superhero life uh, and maybe had like a family together if it weren't for like the horrible circumstances they found themselves in and that's uh, something mm-hmm. that's been hinted on a lot like uh, especially in uh during the dark angel saga so yeah i kind of think that uh, it's more like a burden for her and i mean that her like flirtations with uh phantom x don't come from nothing so um mm. i mean that's kind of like a burden in, in the relationship and she would she i think if she had the choice she would like uh have like this uh really ordinary life with warren as her lover mm. oh yeah that's that's that, yeah because they do have that scene later where they're living that ordinary life and it's so sad yes. i love a good flash forward since six feet under i flash forward just makes me cry i'm just gonna point that out what doesn't make you cry everything else besides flash forwards x23 firestar house of m <laughs> and i think that's it was that it and this everything. uh chuck austin just everything chuck austin. no i never cried during the chat what that's a good list no then she lies with angel oh i did cry Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, other than that, I, I don't really cry much. And during Precious, I think no, that's it about it. Just not my thing. Sad, sad, sad. Very story. emotive man. I respect that. Yeah. Well, I would say yes. very emotive. I mean, you know, men who cry a lot more than that. Look at Ask Big D. I'm sure you know some men who cry more than that. I cry a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See, nothing to be ashamed of. I'm crying right now. I'm crying. Yeah. No. So I, you know, I, yeah, I st- almost told the AF story, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so. actually, actually real real quick story yeah eight years ago justin you and i were talking about this exact same thing and i said i don't i said i, I said something to the fact if i can't remember the last time i cried and you were a- absolutely flabbergasted that i, I was could remember and you were like dude you just you need to cry like you just need to go outside look at the sky and cry <laughs> <laughs> i was like during my like right after my acting phase so i was super emotional 
No, that sound that makes sense. I would have probably been able to do that if someone was like, <laughs> just go outside and cry at the sky. It's like, okay, uh, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't just even. So blue. No prep time necessary. Yeah, I think I think whoever that man was gave some sage advice. Yeah. Yeah, and sadly, I'm a new man now. Mm, good. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. You creat- evolved. I've evolved. You're a different Pokemon now. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I am, I'm like Warren about to, I'm like an apocalyptic archangel right now mm. uh, versus uh, previously I was like Warren Worthington III, uh, Blonder and Sadder. Yeah. And now I'm just, evol- yeah, I don't know. You're a heartless <laughs> black hole. I'm a, wait, wait, what's a black hole? What? A heartless black hole? I mean. <laughs> my heart, my heart is a black hole now. I think before my heart was on my sleeve. No, I'm kidding. But that's a good story to remember actually. So anyway, at the end of uh, the first trade that we read at the end of the apocalypse solution arc we see apocalypse reborn as a child did anybody see this plot twist coming i was pretty shocked i was very shocked and it really sets the tone of the all of the moral choices to come from x-force because they were prepared to fight apocalypse they were prepared to fight warren if he turned evil but they were not prepared to deal with apocalypse being a child yes so that just completely came out of left field and i loved it i mean i wasn't surprised but it was a good twist I was like, or when I say that, it's not like I was like, oh, of course you're a child. Like, I wasn't like that. But it was from like a storytelling uh, point of view. I was just like, oh, shit, this is going to get hard. Yeah, this this series had a lot of like silent oh shit moments. And that's yeah. what I really yes. love about it. Yeah. I think that's kind of like, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's kind of because it's like the team is, has been created to take out these terrible dangers from mutant kind. And you don't usually associate a child with that. You uh, associate like kindness and I don't know, um, like this innocence with like a child. So um, Apocalypse as a child, obviously, it's, uh, that's a lot to take. So uh, that's kind of like why they go uh, into the situation so emotional as opposed to being less emotional about killing one of their best friends, actually. Mm. So it's kind of like uh, they're just unprepared. I'd say I... And so is the reader. So. This is true. Well, I, the thing is, I was prepared because I knew who Evan was before I read this. Yes. Because I just read this. So Same. when I knew who Evan was, I was like, oh, this is where he came from. Mm. Um, but when I first saw Evan, I was like, what What happened? I was like, why is this? Why is he at the Jean Grey school? Why is Apocalypse there? I was really surprised. Nick, did you know about Evan before you read this or not? Well, no, nobody really did if you read it. Um, no, 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 if you read it. I read it not chronologically. Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, I read this when it came out, so... No, I mean, it was a big surprise when you turn to that very last page and you see that, you know, Apocalypse is now a child. And, and then, yeah, going back to the moral dilemma, it, uh, yeah, it just it puts a whole new spin on things. I mean, this wasn't like, you know, the previous volume of X-Force where they're like, okay, we're going to kill a thousand purifiers or a hundred purifiers. It's like, okay, are we going to kill a child or are we not going to kill a child? That's an actually really great distinction. Hori Spanner. Thank you. I haven't been called that since grade school. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember because I read this back in the day, too, when it came out back in the day. It was like five years ago or whatever. But it was the absolute talk of the town. Like, I remember going to the comic book store the next week and everybody was like, oh, my God, Apocalypse is a little kid. And it was really fun to reread it, knowing how far Evan has come since then, having read Wolverine and the X-Men and the current X-Men run now. It's, uh, it reads a lot differently, I think, than the first time I read it, obviously. Uh, Nolan. Can I ask the people who uh, who read it when it was new, how surprising was it based on what you had experienced of the character Phantom X up to that time that, spoiler alert, he just shoots the kid? I can't answer that really quick. I, that was the first time I'd ever encountered Phantom X. So okay. from that point on, I was like, man, this guy doesn't give a shit at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I also didn't really know shit about Phantom X before this, so, you know, I didn't know what to think. Nick? Yeah, actually, way back when Phantom X first appeared, I believe it was New X-Men 118 or 119 right in there somewhere. Yes. Um, and he was fighting one of the other weapons from the Weapon Plus program, and he shot Darkstar in the head, who had gotten taken over um, wow. by the weapon. It was okay. mass mind control. And he just flat out shot her right in the head, didn't think twice about it. So yeah. it wasn't all that surprising to see that he would be the character that would do this in this situation. Again, it was kind of a playback on when he first appeared, actually. Right, right. Interesting. I thought that was cool, too. And I just want to say really quick, for all of us who have read Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, can we all just tell Corey that it was amazing? It's so good. It's weird. It's like perfect. Perfection, it's Corey. Right. Perfection. It's a bunch of bullshit. You just skip, just skip the first arc. <laughs> just no, tell don't somebody skip to redraw it. Yeah, the first arc's it. bad. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, it, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? We'll get into that later. It's not as good as what it leads you to, I would say. I'll, like, I'll just reread Astonishing X-Men. We'll call it square. No, that's not at all the same. <laughs> well, one is a lot happier. Astonishing X-Men is much happier. Anyway, I digress. Jamie, what were you going to say before? I wasn't necessarily going to say anything, but I will say that I was very surprised by that twist. And there are a lot, I would say this is a book that had a, like, a lot of twists that I enjoyed. My favorite twist was definitely later on whenever Betsy's brother wasn't dead. And then she took over her other brother to kill him. And then she says, you knew what you had to do and you were a wimp. And so now you look like the good guy and I look awful. That was like one of the best moments mm-hmm. ever. Yes. So there was a lot of great twists. I think this is a great book for twists in general. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you on twists, especially in X-Men books. So in terms of the superhero team that was gathered in X-Force, which was uh, Wolverine, Psylocke, Archangel, Phantom X, and Deadpool, am I missing anybody? Nope. How do you think this roster holds up against other teams in X-Books? I'm going to ask Corey first. We were just talking about Astonishing X-Men, and I love that roster. Uh, I was about to say this is like prime X-Men. It's like Astonishing X-Men's roster, and then I love this roster so much. They have a interesting balance, and I'm... I know Wolverine's supposed to be the leader, but the whole time I feel like Psylocke kind of led the team in a lot of ways mm-hmm. instead of Phantom X. That's so and true. And had a really interesting dynamic. And also, this is one of the few comics where I not only tolerated Deadpool, but really liked him. Mm. Yeah, he made me laugh. Uh, Marius. Me too. Uh, me too. Yeah, I feel exactly the same about Deadpool, actually. I think that Rick Remender's one of like the few writers who actually managed to write Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, I feel like the, the team is just like a roster of maybe apart from from phantom x you got like later on you got aoa nightcrawler when you got like deadpool you got wolverine you got uh, archangel psylocke i feel like those are like many like uh from the pool of marvel's uh anti-heroes like among mutants that's like uh the fan favorites and i Mm -hmm. was usually never a fan of any of those actually Hmm. but remander still got me to like enjoy each of the arcs so that's Mm -hmm. like a great achievement uh, Mark and then Nolan. I think one of the cool things about bringing someone like Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler onto this team is that he's come from a universe where he has to deal with the consequences of Apocalypse. So it really helps the decision making of the group when you have someone who's dealt with what happens if Apocalypse is allowed to live. Being there to say, look, like it may be ugly, but sometimes killing this kid may be the right thing to do. And with Deadpool, I'm a big Deadpool fan. I've loved Deadpool for so much. But uh, for You've written many Deadpool articles. On I have, I have written, written many Deadpool articles. I don't like the current run of Deadpool, but what I really like about this run of 
uh, Deadpool in this team is that he serves as the moral compass, which mm-hmm. he really doesn't get to do ever. Yeah. Because normally, yes. True. normally he's the loose cannon and everyone else has to control him. But Deadpool is the one who is saying, look, you guys killed a kid. I've never done anything that bad. I think there's one point when someone's saying Deadpool is talking to Deadpool and is like, yeah, you're the worst. You're terrible. And he's like, yeah, but I never killed a kid. And when yeah, Deadpool yeah, yeah, can yeah, get yeah. some moral superiority already uh-huh. on you, you're... Mm-hmm. F- like this is true he was a he was a really cool barometer to show how Mm -hmm. far they've gone because when again when deadpool is the one who's going to be your guiding light like god help you yeah exactly no lan as to the team roster don't forget deathlock yo deathlock was oh oh Oh, yeah deathlock was badass the man all that that stuff about love it was great yes (laughs) it was interesting uh marius yeah, I was just adi- uh, wanting to add on to what Mark was saying about AOA Nightcrawler. I was just really, I just really wanted to agree because I think it's an, like an interesting perspective because, I mean, there's a lot of t- uh, terrible, terrible things that X-Force needs to do to ensure the world doesn't go to shit. And, I mean, it's always easy for characters like Deadpool to say, okay, I don't, obviously I don't want to kill a child. Like, who wants to kill a child? But that's coming from, like, a pretty privileged position because they, Mm. like, live in a world that's not been completely over yeah, by, exactly. by really apocalypse yeah. so I mean AOA Nightcrawler comes from that world and so he's uh, I mean most of his friends died his wife or girlfriend I'm not sure it's his wife it's his wife he was eaten by the blob I mean yeah that's that's f- that's and really f- fucked up I mean like a lot of that stuff happened to him and it's just interesting to see that perspective. Uh, I mean, he goes a lot further, like, in, when it comes to, like, many things later on in the book, so. It's interesting because, like, you would never, when you see other Nightcrawler permutations, he's, I don't necessarily, like, because he always had depth, but it's funny because he always had a, at least a little bit of lightness to him or mm-hmm. maybe like mm-hmm. I've just maybe it's just that I've been reading younger permutations of him but in this it's like he's just no bullshit it's like he's he's a veteran at that point it's like post war or like during war actually and it kind of calls back to like how Ma- like how Magneto was or is in m- most of his permutations where it's just kind of like this bitterness of like this is a this is a subjugation of my people and like I've seen and lost so many people and it was really interesting to see Nightcrawler play that role yeah I kind of think like that's kind of what they're going for with like a Nightcrawler in the extraordinary X-Men book right now because mm. they've made I feel like they've made it very clear that he's uh suffering from trauma after what happened to him in Germany I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners but he's like becoming a lot more morally gray and he's like okay mm. let's let's kill these people let's be ruthless towards these people and he's usually like the uh, voice of reason and right. compassion mm-hmm. and I remember how he was like he was like really I'm really angry about finding out that Cyclops had like this this X Force, which was before this X Force. He was like he was like outraged by that, and now he's kind of they're going like in a kind of different direction. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I mean, yeah, I, I totally get the appeal of the AOA Nightcrawler, so that's mm-hmm. probably uh, Senorita Jaime Arroz. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to call back to Phantom X because I hadn't encountered him before, but he really grew on me over time in a way that a lot of characters haven't. I thought that there was something really interesting about the way that he kind of started off with murdering that kid kind of in cold blood and then he 
had doubts about his own decision almost when he raised him again. And I thought that made him really interesting and human and way better than just a guy who's decisive. He had his own doubts and fears. And I appreciated a lot that the book in general would have doubts all the time about mm. whether or not they were actually doing the right thing in terms of like going to the future and being like, is this better than the other futures? And I really appreciate that. I think Phantom X definitely embodied that perspective in a lot of ways the best. He was willing to make the decision, but also wasn't always completely convinced that it was the right decision, whereas some other characters would just make a decision and always be certain. So I thought it was cool, and I thought it was different, and I liked him a lot. Uh, Nick? Yeah, that's a, a really good point, Jamie, because that actually kind of ties back in to the previous discussion just a second ago about uh, AOA Nightcrawler and regular Nightcrawler that Marius was talking about. The big overarching theme of the whole run was nature versus nurture, mm. and you first see that like Marius was saying, Nightcrawler, very jovial, happy-go-lucky character. Well, you see the other end of that, what happens when there's a world run like run by Apocalypse, and you see what Nightcrawler can be in that type of world. And then touching back on what you were just saying, Jamie, um, where Phantom X killed the original, or the first Evan, and then recloned him. And I think he actually even debated about it with Wolverine, about nature versus nurture, trying to prove a point, saying, hey, if we do, if we bring him up right, He's not going to turn into this world-conquering, you know, villain. So I think those two points tied together very well. So I thought this was interesting because this is one of the few X-Men books I've read. I mean, not because not so many of them exist, but uh, no Cyclops, no Emma. Uh, there was Jean, but it was AOA Jean. Very little Cyclops, no Emma. Actually, all these people were in it. Now that I realize. I don't think that counts. It's just like yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, my question is: Did you miss Cyclops or Emma Moore? <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma Moore, obviously. Duh. I feel like it's not it's not supposed to be like this X Men book with like all these. Uh, that's exactly yeah. That's, that's a good point too. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, pretty straightforward about the fact that it's like a spin off. It's like, got like its own themes. Uh, that's uh, kind of interesting. That's why it's one of my favorite arcs. It's got like I mean the X Men have always had this underlying theme of uh, authorization versus uh, wanting to be accepted by society, but. Uh, I mean, this run has made it very clear that like the underlying theme is more like these moral struggles. So that's what kind of distinguishes it from the rest. So I don't think I don't even think it needs to be like an X-Men All-Star book. Yeah, uh, let me just extend the question to you. If you could add an X-Men to this book or to what would it be, Dylan? Did you have your hand up? I did, but I wasn't prepared for that question. No, well, I'm just extending it to that. But you can still answer what was said before. Oh, well, I mean, just going off what we were talking about, I definitely agree with marius that it felt like a great spinoff in fact i was really surprised when xavier showed up and then mm -hmm. i was really happy when it wasn't xavier and it was just mm -hmm. a figment of imagination because because yeah <laughs> no i don't like him either uh nick actually i think emma frost would actually probably work okay with this type of group she's always been kind of a morally gray character and Agreed. i think she would probably fit right in with them honestly I kind of think so. Kay and I... Except um, she would, like, eat Psylocke alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kay just gained so much respect be, for and you. Just, <laughs> and just be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, was there another Was there another telepath here? I don't remember <laughs> there being one. Was she British, too? Yeah, whatever. It's not a big deal. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, be more naked. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Marius. Uh, I'd probably add X-23 into the mix. Oh, totally. Because I feel like there's this huge theme about being 
designed to be a killer. Uh -huh. And that's like so uh, essential to X-23's like character arc about not wanting to be uh, the killer that she's uh, she was made to be and uh, kind of embracing her human side. So uh, that could have been like an interesting arc where she would have gone from, okay, I'm really I'm with Wolverine on this to like being okay. That's that's bullshit. I I don't want any of this any longer. I just want to be myself. Mm. I don't want to be this uh, this designed killer once again who has to like right. um, yeah do the dirty work. Yeah, there was there was no way she in her narrative or in her characterization that she would volunteer to do X Force yeah, at all. Ever. Well, she was just she, she was out. on the previous yeah. X Force, but yeah, I but mean, like she yeah. Yes. There's no way she would stay. Yeah. What I meant, I guess. Well, I think Wolverine was like, she can't just. She, I, am I right in this, Nick? I Nick, think, fact check. Wolverine I think was like, don't do this I, anymore. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that Wolverine threw her out in like this one short story after Second oh, Coming. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's so, like, he I can't mean, do this. Yeah. He's. I. I mean, he's been yeah. a father figure to her. I mean, he's mm, kind of her I father. And yeah, I mean, he's he's always protective of her, so I get that. But uh, I don't know. It would have been cool to have uh, in, still in the mix. Yeah. I would have liked to see. Uh, there's two characters I would like to see. Warpath, but for the same reason. Oh, Corey. Sorry. I just saw that. Uh, there's two characters I'd like to see. One is Warpath, but of course we can't because of X Necrotia. So he was like mm -hmm. too traumatized from that. Um, you know, I feel like Polaris has some issues. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I Polaris think that been really interesting. if you were to read her Austin run, she's got, she's got to work out some things. She's got some things to work out. She's got some anger issues. She's got some man issues, and what better way to take that out than kicking ass of some? She would have been one. like a like a more emotional, or not even. She wouldn't even be comparable to Psylocke, but it would be interesting because as a another female character on that roster, she would be like a lot angrier. I feel. I think so too. Or like I a lot more emotional, while Psylocke would just be like, like you know, she's like has to lock it down. But Polaris would be super emotional. That would have yes. been really interesting. I told you. I also think Polaris would not have made it. I would feel like she would have just had a breakdown like three quarters of the way through. And oh, totally. To yeah. She can't handle <laughs> that stuff. I mean, I don't know if she would go home. It's just like, just go on without me. I'll yeah, be over here. She's like, I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to Netflix and chill tonight. You guys go <laughs> stop the world from that, ending. It's that time uh, of the Corey, month. I'm then, sorry. Right? <laughs> Corey, then Jamie. I had two answers to this, and I don't think either of them make sense anymore after I give them some thought. <laughs> My first one was Gambit, but he's a lot like Phantom X in a lot of ways. Yes. Oh, Gambit would have been cool. Yeah. And then my second one was Mystique, just because I liked seeing her interact with these characters. Mm -hmm. And I thought yeah. if she could somehow make her way into the fold, uh, she'd be a really interesting addition to the team. She would be so good. Well, she's a villain in it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. why I said it doesn't really make much sense. The new Uncanny X-Men book has like most of the uh, Uncanny X-Force cast, but also Mystique. So... To be, also, to be fair, wasn't Gambit already a part of like another? He was in the age, the age of the Apocalypse group, yeah. Oh, well, that too. But team. he was, yeah, he was on yeah, another team Gambit. altogether. He was like in another group. Yeah, he was an X Factor with Polaris and Quicksilver, actually. Was that? Yeah. Okay. Wait. Wasn't he with something else? Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. It could be. Yeah. But, I yeah. think he was on uh, on X Men Legacy by that time. Oh, okay. So. Mm. Also, it's like just from like a very like a storyteller's perspective too. I feel like while I agree with you, Marius, that X twenty three would have been cool to just like stay on. At the same time, there's like there's also such thing as having a character be on a team and it just making too much sense if that yeah, makes any I, sense it's just kind of like that's why with like phantom x it was so interesting because arguably to like to me i thought he was the most human because despite the fact that he was the one who pulled the trigger but it was so that's weird interesting. To, well i just think he's the most human because he like while i was reading it 
he was the one who was responsible for acting out in a way that always made me react like, what are you doing? You idiot. Like, this is so stupid. Or like, why would you bring him back? That's so dumb. Like, just accept it. Like, you know, like the fact that I would have like an emotional response, but like want to keep reading to me kind of resonated as like it wasn't that wasn't like fairy tale to me. That was like as if someone close to me or someone like a friend of a friend told me a story and I'd be like, no, that's stupid why would you do that and it's like very real i feel like in his error it's a lot more real versus someone who's you know like wolverine who's just like eh, chilling which you like like because he's cool as a character but uh jamie uh, I was just going to say that, actually, I love Emma, but the only reason why, I think that if she was on the team, she would have to be the leader, because yeah. I think that she's, like, a little too certain of herself. Well, I think she knows, like, more about herself and yeah. the struggle than some of the other characters do. Like, Wolverine didn't have the largest arc, as opposed to some of the other characters. But I do think that I would love to see Ileana, aka Magic, on this Ooh, team. Ooh, that's a good choice. Because um, yes. she always goes to that other world, and I always really loved her struggle in the mutants, so I think it would be fun to see her continue it on in this way as Goes like with like a larger, more mainstream team. I think it would have been cool to see her struggle more with that dark side. I think great choice. Nolan, was that your hand up or no? No, I would not add any characters. I would not change one thing about this comic. Awesome. I I'm kind of with you there, and, and I think so is Marius. Mark. I agree with Nolan to a degree, but one thing I really did like uh, that they added to the team in is when they go to the future and the Punishers on the team. Mm. Which I think makes so much sense because, you know, I really like, I I like the Punisher now, but I used to not because he was just so black and white as a character. And Deadpool comments on this in a really funny piece of dialogue that I really relate to. But he really makes sense on a team like that. Like, uh, Punisher would 100% pull the trigger on that kid because he's just so black and white like that. And I think that was a really apt addition to the team in in the future. And I I don't think he would have, though. You don't think so? Because he's emotionally compromised by children because he had his own. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. But that would have been an interesting, but I agree with you in the fact that it would be an interesting addition no, because it, in, yeah. in light of even someone like the Punisher being like, I don't, like even hesitating before shooting it. Yeah, he he is the guy you need it, when you need to make those tough decisions because he will just do it for you. Yeah, but it would have been interesting to see how he reacted to like Phantom X doing something like yeah, that. Yeah, but there's a really like, there's a really interesting moment in that future scene when it shows how Punisher doesn't really that black and white dichotomy has really doesn't make sense is when uh Betsy tries to kill herself and he pulls a gun on her and she's like, yeah, "Why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah. Like I'm already trying to kill myself and you're pulling a gun on me? That doesn't make any sense because it's all he knows is just pulling a gun on someone to make them do what he yeah, wants." Yeah, exactly. Mhm. Totally. All right. So as we close this up, let's just talk about some just general favorite moments in this awesome run. Who would like to go first? Marius. Definitely the ending of Apocalypse Solution and definitely the ending of Dark Angel Saga. Those were like the two most powerful moments for me in this book, maybe like overall in superhero comics. Mark. Uh, mine's a little less profound than Marius's, but I really liked it when Nightcrawler killed the blob by teleporting a shark into his stomach. I thought that was really awesome, and it was like, it just blew my mind. I had to I had to take a lap around my room after that to process it. It was <laughs> really cool and just so brutal. No, that is very cool. Uh, Corey? Mine's also not very profound, but I think it might actually be in the first issue when Deadpool says, how do you kill a circus? And then he slices the dude's throat and goes, take out the juggler. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a great, yeah, it's a great moment. Nolan, how about you? 
Uh, it's very hard to choose, but I think my favorite part was when they're trying to kill Age of Apocalypse Iceman, and he knocks the grenade over the roof, and then Wolverine just jumps down after it and catches it and clutches it to his chest to like stop innocence from dying at the hands of the grenade. That was just like a great like twist. How about Dellen? You're holding the mic. My favorite moment was when they fought Iceman when, or yeah, it also involved Iceman, but um, especially at first I was like a little disappointed with Iceman just showing up as a big giant because they just fought the blob and defeat him. So it felt like they were just like, oh, just one more obstacle. But I thought Iceman turned out to be a huge, really cool enemy. And then when he just killed Deadpool, froze him and just split him into a million pieces, that was just like, oh man, this is actually getting really dark and they could actually all die. <laughs> This could be bad. Jamie. Uh, my favorite moment was whenever Betsy gave Warren his like full life in his head and then oh. he died and she was holding his head and they were oh. like, you have to go. And she was like, no, I like leave me here with him. Like I want, I guess, to be together in the end. That really, like I, I stopped. So that was my favorite moment. Jamie really put a downer on me. Yeah. Jamie, that was my favorite moment too. That's why we're, that's why we're friends. That's why we like Buffy. <laughs> that's why we like Buffy. And that's why we like Grant Morrison's X-Men. <coughs> Corey. And that's why um, we like each other. Yeah. That's why we like each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also thought that was a very moving scene. I, I love some of the quotes in this and some of the imagery. And I, one of, also one of my favorite ones was with Magneto and, the, and drinking from the glass. Mm. And I read it like three or four times after while I was writing the script just to see if there was symbolism I couldn't find and I couldn't find it. But it was it, I really believe it's just that it's just that I'm not smart enough to catch it. No, I think it was just like a very it's like a very cinematic quiet moment. And that's it, right? It was yeah. just a private moment. Yeah, that's yeah. what I liked about that. Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes me that makes me both feel better about myself and <laughs> uh like the moment even more. See, I'm actually having a hard time finding a very favorite moment it's like it's stupid but it's a very it's such a brief moment but and i mentioned it before but my favorite part was literally like when betsy or psylocke rather was just saying like you know i'm really you know like i'm kind of worried about myself because i like scare myself with how much i'm like into this idea of getting revenge on these people and then wolverine you just see wolverine walking away and he's like that's when it's that's when you should be worried like, I don't know why that, like, stuck with me so hard, but I thought that I related to that a lot. There's also a really cool part that Marius told me about before, and when I read it, I really loved it. When Because I always thought, and still think, Psylocke is such a convoluted character. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, been through way too much. Not that she's yes. been through way too much. But yes, she has. She's yeah. just been through way too much that doesn't have, like, a strong, like, through line. Like, I, my criticism of Psylocke was always I could never imagine her in the room. I can imagine Jean Grey in the room. I can imagine the Storm in the room. I can imagine Emma Frost in the room. I can imagine, every uh, I don't know, Firestar, all the new mutants in the room. I can't imagine, like, what I don't know what Psylocke would be like. Um, mm. And... I feel like that this dealt with that issue for me when Psylocke has that line. She's like, there's more to me than you can ever know or more to me that, than, mm-hmm. you know, you will, something like that. It was yeah, so yeah, like yeah. profound. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I really uh, enjoyed that part. How about favorite characters since there was such an interesting mix? Which characters stood out to you? Jamie. My favorite characters were definitely Psylocke and Phantom X. And I think that, I don't know if I can speak to exactly like if I like them necessarily best together, even though I did like that too. But I think that they both were the most likely to make a strong decision and then not like necessarily like like chastise themselves for it, but like constantly be thinking about it all the time. 
which I think is like very realistic. And a lot of times in these kind of books and arcs, characters make crazy decisions. And then like a few issues later, they don't like think about it anymore. Whereas these characters, like they just were continually thinking about all of the stuff that was mm-hmm. happening in the run all the time. Right. So I really enjoyed that. I thought they were really cool. Jamie, how many points has Psylocke scored for you as a character in X-Men? I mean, she was at like a... And like a nothing, and now she's like at a hundred. Wow. She went zero to a hundred real quick. Wow. So like, I was okay. Like your personal up in there. Yeah, your personal ranking: Jean Grey, Emma Frost, Psylocke. I would say that's so hard. I think I would put F. Emma Kill. first. I think I would still put her behind Jean, but I mean, they're very different characters. But like, I would want all three of them to be with me always. Okay, that's a beautiful answer, uh, Corey. <laughs> Yeah, that was a beautiful answer. I'm just going to talk about Deadpool now. <laughs> <laughs> we all need that one. Guy Deadpool is also Deadpool. a beautiful <laughs> answer. I, I love Deadpool so like, much. I like I said earlier. I I've never I've always been annoyed by Deadpool in comics. I always kind of roll my eyes at him. But I guess this run proves I just haven't read the right Deadpool. Because not only did I really enjoy him, but I find that after watching the Deadpool movie and like kind of hearing Ryan Reynolds' voice in my head, yes. he's a lot more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's true. I'm with you on that one. I agree with the voice thing. I just hear it when I'm reading the yep. comics now. Yeah, it's yeah. so awesome. fitting. It just there's there's really no other voice for him. Uh, Marius, Mark, K, Nolan, me. Probably Age of Apocalypse, Gene, because I I just thought it was interesting. Like with the like uh, her ongoing struggle with like having this husband who's also Apocalypse, and then having this alternate reality version of her husband, and then like their love isn't supposed to like remain. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting especially when she decides to stay with uh, with his, uh, her version of logan but uh, i also really enjoyed uh, deadpool as i said and i mean yeah he has a pretty great character arc in this one especially when uh, he's being called a hero for the first time it was so heartbreaking Mm. I really liked Wolverine because he's just been one of my all-time favorite characters in comics for a really long time. And it was really cool to see him leading, but then also not leading, having mm. Phantom X and Psylocke kind of be the, the the real leaders behind a lot of the major decisions. And then I also really liked Phantom X because, like Jamie said, uh, he was the one to always be thinking and second-guessing about his decisions. But that's also probably because he has three brains. Uh, and I, I thought that was a really cool aspect of him was that there was always just so much going on when he was narrating. I remember there's one scene where he's counting all of the enemies he has to take out and Wolverine is next to him. And Wolverine is going nuts, whereas he's just very calmly uh, shoot, picking them off. And he's like, you know, what? I'll just let Wolverine have his fun and let him just go nuts for a little bit. So I, I thought that in that moment was what I really liked about both of the characters and what I think made them really work together as a team and mm. this at these different aspects of leadership that they took on in their roles uh, of X-Force. And I, I thought that the all, all of the interactions were great between the team. And that's what really sold the, the book for me. Mm. But this in particular was probably my favorite because you have the, the psychotic animal and the overly calculating three-brained dude. Okay. I'm actually, I mean, I'm actually having a hard time finding one definitive favorite character. I mean, in this story, Deadpool is really great just because I was just thinking about this moment where he's like brainwashed by father. I think it was called the villain was called. Oh, Shadow King. Yeah. No, father, father. father. Oh, father. Just kidding. Yeah. 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 But, and 
it was so weird and like not only do you see like this very vulnerable part of Deadpool and like how he kind of has this inherent need for validation and especially in light of someone like Phantom X telling him that nobody likes him and like stuff like that it was really interesting but then my favorite part was where like there was like a turning point where like like the father was just like saying like oh like we can you know like I'll give you a little kiss and you'll get cake and then that's (laughs) like the weird point where Deadpool's like no that's not cool like I don't like that like you almost had me there but like it's almost like casual and then he just ends him but kind of going off of what Mark was saying and also that point about Deadpool being relatable in the sense that he's very vulnerable but then also kind of just like a like this weird anomaly of a person. I think that X-Force in general as a team are very a lot more familial than in my opinion than any X-Men roster I've ever seen just because I so like if I heard the characterizations and didn't see them, I would just assume they were all related. Because like they've all experienced such similar things and they all react similarly but not entirely the same. So like if someone was like, this is how they interact, I'd be like, oh, are they related? Just like, I think that that's what I really liked about it. Plus, I think they definitely bond because they all share this burden of the horrible things they have to do together. Right. It's like gallows humor almost. Yeah. yeah. Like Phantom X is the one who pulls the trigger on Kid Apocalypse, but they all have to deal with that. They all have to deal it with should I have stopped him? Why didn't mm-hmm. I stop him? Right. Should I have done this? Am I a coward for not doing this? So I think that really brings them together in that familial element you're talking about. Yeah, and there's no like right or wrong even at that point. It's kind of just like shoulda, coulda, woulda at any at any any mission they go through. They're not like, yeah, this is the right thing to do, except for maybe the quote unquote patriarch, uh, which would be Wolverine, who's like, no, it was definitely the right thing to do. Like, I'm not losing sleep over it. And then Psylocke's like, who are you trying to convince though? Uh, also, uh, Warren killed that editor, right? Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty harsh. Yeah, it's a, long, it's like, a little, little the ed- extra. Like, the editor really of the, the newspaper, yeah, who's going to out him for whatever being and all that stuff. Uh, sorry, uh, Dellen, then Nolan. I also liked Phantom X quite a bit. Yeah, I liked his, co- his mix of confidence and doubt, and he made me laugh a couple times. And even though his power of misdirection was sometimes a bit... um overpowered i like that he always used it really smartly mm-hmm. <laughs> and that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was able to make a whole like misdirect with this whole group of age of apocalypse people to get the upper hand in the apocalypse and that was cool nolan how are you uh these are all great picks i went through almost all these possibilities trying to pick one and uh phantom x in particular went from being like a little annoying to me and seeming overpowered to being really sympathetic, to feeling really sympathetic. But I think I'll choose Deathlock. Deathlock was great. Deathlock's, uh, Deathlock's like time travel stuff where it would normally annoy me just was really fun. And in fact, this comic like redeemed uh, X-Men time travel in my mind. So Mine too. to represent that, I choose Deathlock. You know, for me, I would, I really enjoyed the relationship between Psylocke and Warren. And I love that Warren got his own Dark Phoenix saga in a lot of ways, which we talked about earlier today. I also loved that... I love seeing his character fleshed out. For This is the first time Psylocke has made sense to me since X-Men 1 in mm. 1992 or whatever it was, 1990. 1990 or 1992, I should know that off the top of my head. So this was the best I've ever personally seen Psylocke. And the first time I wasn't 
sort of like, oh man, her, like, at least if you're going to bring her in, do something with her. And he <laughs> did something with her and it was great. So I really, I really liked that. And obviously there was a, a major love triangle. You know, there was that whole love conquers all theme. And whether you agree with it or not, whether you agree with it as like a story point or not, just one word answer. Do you guys agree with it? Did you guys think it was successful? Uh, you know, the, the storytelling wise, yeah. I think so. Okay. Anybody else? Storytelling yes. wise, yes. Jamie? Yeah, I would say yeah, and I think that they framed it in a way that was more like I want to believe that this is true, mm-hmm. which I think also helped yes. their point. Corey, mm-hmm. you too. You, I see you shaking your head. Yes. Yeah. Corey yeah. says yes. Yeah. Well, they can't see you, so I just wanted to make sure. Um, okay. <laughs> Nolan, you look. I'm not sure if you would say yes. Do you? Do you agree? Yeah, everything was successful in this comic. Also, okay, you said yes too. You didn't. You didn't love it, but it was successful. Yeah, I don't agree with it, and I'm not a huge fan of that ideology, but I think it worked well for this story. All right, well, this podcast is just too huge. We have to separate it into two podcasts. So uh, definitely check us out at comicsverse.com. This isn't over yet. Uh, The Remender Run is so good. It took up two podcasts, so definitely check us out next week and listen to the podcast. Thank you.